You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. If you have your Bibles, turn to uh, John chapter 20. John chapter 20. We're going to wrap up this chapter today. Um, crazy to think about how we're coming to the end of uh, our study in the Gospel of John. Um, we started it back in January of 2019, so we're uh, a little over a year. We'll be coming up on a year and a half um, as far as being in this book. And, you know, we, we started our, our journey in the Gospel of John by jumping all the way ahead to uh, this these two verses, John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, because it's, it's John's thesis statement for why he even chose to write, write this Gospel. Remember, we talked about how Matthew, Mark, and Luke were already in circulation. Um, and, and why did John choose to write when we already had the other three Gospels? And so we, we see his purpose in writing, that he is going to intentionally um, record information to help us in our belief. And, you know, we've been saying all along from the very beginning that a lot of times this is a book that people will refer a unbeliever to with, with questions, you know, somebody who's um, dialoguing about Jesus, questioning Jesus, wanting to know more about Jesus. Well, hey, go read the Gospel of John because the Gospel of John is written so that you'll believe in Jesus. But what we've tried to establish all along, too, is that this isn't just a gospel for unbelievers. It's a, it's a gospel for all believers as well, that our belief is to continue, that we are to keep believing more and more and more. And we see that pattern in this gospel, right? We see this pattern of the disciples believing, taking initial steps to follow Jesus. And then as they experience Jesus more, as they come to know him more, they believe in him more, right? And so that kind of culminates in what we've seen over the last couple of weeks with this greater revelation about Jesus as he dies on the cross, comes back from the dead, is making these appearances that, uh, the belief is obviously increasing greatly in light of that. And we saw last week with Thomas, the biblical account of the resurrection gives me all that is necessary to believe that Jesus can replace my anxious heart with a state of peace. And with the power of his spirit, I can now help others enjoy that peace too. And so uh, we see that uh, we can enjoy the, the promised, purchased peace of the resurrected Jesus, that Jesus is basically declaring Everything that I've told you in my time of ministry with you has been verified as true now because I've done the ultimate thing, and that's to keep my promise of coming back from the dead. And so the whole promise about peace being offered to his disciples, that they don't have to have troubled hearts, uh, finds reinforcement through his resurrection. And we see the peace available to us is tied directly to what he accomplished, right? That uh, we can have peace because we can know where we stand with our creator. We don't have to be that employee who's wondering, is my, is my boss happy with me or not? Is my boss pleased with me or not? We know that, that uh, the creator of the universe is pleased with us, and we see that because of uh, how the resurrection plays out, that Jesus died in our place and God has accepted that sacrifice. And uh, we talked about it informing our human emotions now, right? That the peace with, with God that we enjoy keeps us now from having troubled hearts. We don't have to stay troubled. Uh, we can enjoy the peace that's been offered to us, a peace that's different than the world tries to offer to us. And then we talked about the responsibility we have to serve Jesus in light of all this, that uh, he talks to his disciples about giving them this supernatural power that comes from the Holy Spirit so that we can communicate 
and even withhold forgiveness from people. And we talked about what that meant, that we haven't been given some authority or power to forgive sins or to not forgive sins, and nor were the disciples given that. Instead, we have been given the gospel message, which communicates how to have your sins forgiven and what happens to you if you don't put your faith and trust in Jesus. And so we have been given access to the truth for how one can rejoin a relationship with their creator. And so in a sense, we do forgive and withhold based on the message that we have. We have the ability to tell people, if you if you believe these things, then you can have life. And if you don't believe these things, then you're going to die in condemnation and wrath, right? And so we talked about our responsibility to serve the resurrected Jesus. And then we talked about educating our current experiences with faithful accounts of the resurrected Jesus, right? That whole concept of believing without seeing, that we need to educate ourselves on the accounts of Scripture, things that God has done, things that God has revealed to educate our current experiences. And I tried to differentiate between accounts and experiences last week. Accounts are things that have kind of been accomplished in the past, whereas experiences are kind of these open-ended circumstances that we find ourselves in right now. And so we want to educate ourselves right now with what God has done in the past so that we can believe even if we're not currently seeing it in our present situation, right? So that's what Jesus had challenged his disciples with. Hey, blessed are you guys for believing right now because you see me, but blessed are those who were to come down the road who don't get the option of seeing me, right? Blessed are those who will believe without seeing, that will simply believe on the account of these truthful records of who Jesus is. And so I told you kind of at the end of last week that we want to let the Bible speak to our anxious hearts. Um, I hope that you were able to find some time to read and reflect this week uh, to help your heart not be troubled, especially in the circumstances that we find ourselves in right now. And to look for ways to speak peace to others too, to, to, to reach out to individuals, especially within our church who may need encouragement, who may need a steady dose of peace because maybe the uh, the circumstances right now are, are pressing in on them a little bit and, and maybe it's tempting to, to fill a troubled heart. And so uh, hopefully you'll continue to take advantage of opportunities to speak truth into the lives of each other, even in our time of distancing right now. So we come to John chapter 20 today, verse 30 and 31. And it, it's a bit of review because like I said, I've already taught these two verses. I taught them from the very beginning. And so uh, we're going to review a little bit, but I try. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to maybe bring uh, a little bit of newness to it again because our perspective is maybe a little bit different this time. Because the first time we taught it without looking at the Gospel of John, and I kind of told you this is where we're going to go with the Gospel of John. Now we're kind of reflecting back on it. We're saying, okay, we've 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 studied the Gospel of John now. Here's what its purpose was. Have we seen that purpose? Have we grasped that purpose? Okay, so. Let's jump right into our notes summary sentence for today. It's the exact same summary sentence from Gospel of John week one, right? The Gospel of John is a calculated recollection of Jesus's earthly life with the purpose being to bring us to initial faith that grows into a continual faith that ultimately can be described as a life-changing faith, right? The Gospel of John, it's a calculated recollection John chose what he wrote specifically, calculated it. He recollected it for a purpose. 
and he's recollecting Jesus' earthly life to bring us to initial faith in Jesus, um, to keep us growing in our faith in Jesus so that ultimately our life is different because of that belief in Jesus, right? Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. He goes on in chapter 21. He says, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. All right? So he's not lacking for material. He's not lacking content. He is sifting through all the content and saying, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this, obviously under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But he's choosing specific content for a specific purpose, and that's to cause us to believe in Jesus and to keep us believing in Jesus. Now, what we didn't really hit on the first time we looked at this passage is how Thomas, I think, ties into this. I think Thomas is being viewed as the desired example of what it looks like to believe to confess, and to commit one's life to Jesus, right? John makes this statement, and, it, and it, to me, it, it would feel more appropriate at the end of chapter 21, right? Um, but it seems like John responds to his own recollection of Thomas. And here's what Thomas does, right? Thomas sees the resurrected Christ. He gives the, the ultimate declaration of who Jesus is, right? My Lord and my God one of the clearest presentations of the identity of Jesus by one of his followers, right? And so it's almost as though John writes that and says, and you know what? This is why I've written this, is so that you'll be like Thomas, right? So you'll be like Thomas, and you will believe, but you will personalize the the identity of Jesus to yourself, right? It's not that Jesus is God and Lord alone. It's that he has become my Lord and my God, right? Like, He's not just operating independently of me. I am submitting myself to him now, right? In light of what I have seen from Jesus, I am choosing, I am choosing to put my faith and trust in him. And so John is writing this, and I think he's got Thomas here as the viewed, desired example of what it looks like to believe, to confess, and to commit. We saw uh, way back in January of 19 that the apologetical purpose of this passage is to show the identity of Jesus. The evangelical purpose is to show us that we can trust him, right? And so the summary sentence for our kids today, the gospel of John tells us about Jesus so we can believe in him, right? It's more than a history book. It's more than a a historical recollection of Jesus. There's purpose and intent behind it, and it's for us to put our faith and trust in him, all right? Let's go right into our notes. Two points of application today. Number one, be content with God's revelation and believe what we know. Be content and believe what we know. For our kids, the Bible tells us all we need to know about Jesus to believe him. The Bible tells us all we need to know about Jesus to believe him. So we need to be content with God's revelation and believe what we know. All right, which two points underneath this. Number one, we don't know everything but we know enough, right? We don't know everything, but we know enough. Sometimes we become so um, textually critical that we want the Bible to answer every question that we have, right? 
Um, and we can, if we're not careful, become dissatisfied and potentially even resentful that God hasn't answered our high-level questions, right? I know sometimes the, the intellectual mind of some people is so dissatisfied because God doesn't answer every question. When John's saying, I, I think John is saying, I could have answered more questions for you than I did, right? I could have written a whole lot more. I could have exhausted myself for the rest of my life and still not have told you everything that I witnessed in those three years of ministry. But I've written what I did write for a specific purpose, and that's so you can believe. And I think what John is saying here is that I've written enough to where John would argue if you don't believe this, it's not due to lack of evidence or lack of content. It's due to an unbelieving heart, right? So we don't know everything, but we know enough. Those who haven't seen the risen Lord are going to have to rely on accounts like John to provide the word to be saved, right? Jesus is saying, blessed are those who believe without seeing. And we know from Romans 10, 17, we can hear and be saved, right? We don't have to see to be saved. We don't have to see Jesus to be saved. We can hear about him, right? And that's maybe the big difference between uh, even like when you think about analogies about Jesus, the, the golden serpent, right, raised up. And the people had to put their eyes on that golden serpent to be saved from the, the, the poison that had come from the, the serpent bite. Thankfully, we don't have to be in the population that was alive when Jesus was on earth to put our eyes on him. We can hear about him and we can believe without seeing by simply hearing. And so people like John, these historical inspired accounts, they give us enough about Jesus. They have provided the word so that the Holy Spirit can grant us faith. Romans 10, 17. We can hear about it, and, and we can believe and be saved, which means there's no excuses for not believing. The word is enough. It is sufficient for belief, and nothing more is needed. Our unanswered questions can wait. Right? I was wrestling with a question this week. I've, I've been looking at uh, what Scripture has to say about the image of God, and, and I started questioning, like, does the scripture say that like angels aren't created in the image of God? Well, my first inclination is to say, no, just man is created in the image of God, right? He makes us male and female and together we image God. But the Bible also doesn't say that angels aren't created in the image of God, because a lot of times when I think about how to describe what it means to be created in the image of God, the things that I would say are also true of angels. And so I've been kind of wrestling with that. And, you know, at the end of the day, like the Bible doesn't speak to it directly, right? And that's a question that's kind of unanswered. How do angels fit into uh, some of God's creation? But I have to be okay with answers coming later down the road, right? That, that there's been enough given to believe in Jesus for salvation. And I think sometimes, and I think this is where I have to be, even be careful too. I put in my notes, Make sure you're believing on the word and not something else. Man, there's a, there's great resources out there that reinforce the truth of the resurrection, right? All this apologetical stuff where we can look at arguments that exist, people's um, books, you know, Case for Christ, stuff like that. We don't believe in Jesus because of those things. <clears throat> they certainly help our belief, right? But we believe in Jesus because of what John included. And John, what John is saying is, there is enough here for you to believe. 
There's enough here for you to believe, even if a man chooses not to write an apologetical book backing up the resurrection, right? If a guy like Gary Habermas doesn't come along and spend his life devoted to showing how the resurrection is the only thing that makes sense with the evidence that's been presented, if he's not here, we still can believe in Jesus. <clears throat> we don't need the Gary Habermases. We don't need the um, is it Josh, Josh McDowell who wrote the um, More Than a Carpenter. We don't need those guys to write those things so that we have enough to believe, right? We have enough to believe in the word itself. Those things come alongside and, and help support and encourage our belief, right? But what John wrote is sufficient and enough for our belief. What John is helping us to see here is that we can experience the same thing as the disciples, even though we weren't there to see it personally. People in every age can experience this faith and belief that's being talked about here. We can know that Jesus is God and that faith in him brings everlasting life. All right. So we have to be content with the fact that not everything's been given to us, but enough has been given to us. And we can be grateful, eternally grateful and thankful for that revelation. But that leads into number two, we've got to believe it, right? Burden of responsibility is on us now to believe what John has recorded. Uh, we must believe that Jesus is all that he is and commit ourselves to him, right? We must believe that Jesus is all that he is and commit ourselves to him. We can't simply believe that some things about Jesus are true and dismiss others, right? For faith to come in a salvific way, it has to come uh, with us putting our faith in Jesus as he reveals himself in all the ways that he reveals himself, right? Um, and so what John is telling us here is that we, we look at the facts and evidence that are available to us in this gospel, and then we determine whether they are true or not true. And if we believe these things about Jesus to be true, then we, we um, allow our choices and our patterns and our direction of life now to be shaped by that conviction of truth, right? So we look at the evidence that John has shared with us. Here's, the, here's what Jesus did during his time here. Here's the things that he said. Here's the places that he went. Here are the people that he interacted with. <clears throat> this is what, what we know about Jesus. And John's saying, I want you to decide what you believe about that. Do you believe that what I've told you makes him the son of God? Does it make him the Messiah? Or do you dismiss it and say, I don't, I don't think that he is that, right? I think he did some nice things. I think he did some powerful things. But at the end of the day, he's not God. At the end of the day, he's not my sacrifice. Then you walk away from it and you don't do anything else with him. But John's saying, if, if you believe what I've told you, then moving forward, all of your choices and decisions and uh, movement in life, it's to be submitted to him. Because if he is what John has revealed him to be, then we have absolutely every reason to give Jesus every choice and decision that we make, right? Um, every pattern of life now is to be submitted to him. What are, what are we told to believe about Jesus here? We're told to believe that he's the promised Messiah, that he is the son of God, and that by believing in him, we can become recipients of eternal life, right? These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Greek New Testament word for the Old Testament concept of Messiah. 
the Son of God. <clears throat> so that we believe these things about Jesus. And then we, by believing, we, we receive eternal life. The Bible presents him this way. And Jesus claimed this about himself, and others believed these things about him, right? The Bible calls him God. <clears throat> the, the Bible presents him as the, the, the fulfillment of the promised Messiah way back in Genesis 3. Jesus claimed these things about himself, and people believed these things about him too. And what we're seeing here from John is that there's a confession piece to this, that we believe these things, and there's a commitment piece to this, that it changes our life, that we're to see him as the promised Old Testament Savior, the Messiah, <clears throat> that he's the Son of God, which makes him God, but that he's also a perfect man. He's now raised to life after dying in our place, and we've seen these themes throughout John, that uh, that revelation that he is God comes from John chapter one, verse one, right? In the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. But that he's also perfect man. That by being the Messiah, he is everything that Hebrews talks about him being, this great high priest who can relate to us because he took on human flesh. John chapter one, verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we've seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. What's John saying there? He's saying, Jesus is God. And then Jesus became a man, right? Always God, not always man, but he became a man. And John says, I was part of the generation that got to see him, got to see him walk this earth. And his glory was evident that he was the son of the father. And he's been raised to life now. Jesus talks in John chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus said to her, talking to Martha at Lazarus's funeral, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Right? Talking about his own power over death and that he has died in our place. John the Baptist identified him in that way, right? Identified him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And we see these individual confessions from people throughout the gospel. In John chapter 1, verse 34, John the Baptist identifies him as the Son of God, right? I, verse 34, and I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Nathaniel says in verse 49 of chapter 1, Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are are the king of Israel. Peter says in John chapter 6, verse 69. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Remember the blind man in John chapter 9? He's, he's confused. He's just thrilled to be seeing things again. <clears throat> or for the first time. And in John chapter 9, verse 35, Jesus asks him if he believes in the Son of God. And the man answered him, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Martha confesses, John confesses his own confession here in John 20, 30, 31, that he believes that after seeing the empty tomb, after seeing those undisturbed grave clothes, and after seeing the resurrected Christ, he believes he is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is 
the Son of God. But it's not just a belief that we're called to. We're called to commit to following him, believing that obedience to him leads to life. Thomas confesses that Jesus has the power over life and death and has the right to rule his life. We believe him, and then it leads to this this new life, right? We believe that he's the Son of God. We believe that he's the Christ. And by believing, we receive life in his name. There's a result of our belief that we're told here, which leads to number two. Shape your life around what we know and keep believing. Shape your life around what we know and keep believing. So what we're saying is, is that we don't have everything, but we have enough. So for the intellectual mind that wants more, man, you can meditate and contemplate and pursue Uh, a deeper knowledge of of God, but be content with what we do know, the the things that we don't have to wonder about or question. We've had clear revelation from God that Jesus is God. We can believe this, John says. We we, we have enough to believe that he's the Messiah, that he's the Christ, that he's the Son of God. And so we then shape our life around what we know, and we keep believing Right? These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing. So there's this believe it and then believing it. Right, So there's this initial belief. We believe that he's the Son of God. We believe he's the Christ. We cross from death to life. We know where we stand with our creator now. But then we keep believing that he is these things. Right, And by keep believing We enjoy this life that's offered to us, and we enjoy it in his name, we're told. For our kids, what we believe about Jesus should change our life, should radically change our life. It changes how we process everything around us. changes how we process our circumstances. It changes how we process how people treat us. It changes how we process things that happen to us. We process it differently now. Right? Number one here, we embrace this life promised by Jesus. We embrace the life promised by Jesus. I had you in your discussion groups this morning talking about what type of life would we describe to an unbeliever that's being promised here? That if you'll believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, you will receive life in his name. What does that mean? What does that mean to receive life? Well, it starts by combating a perception that God is here to spoil your life or ruin your life or um, hold your life back, right? Uh, Adam McLeod talked this morning with our kids about the rules and commands that God gives to us and the goodness behind those things, right? The enemy's major deception has been from the very beginning to convince us that God is not Uh, interested in giving us a a life of satisfaction, right? That he is holding things back from us. He is uh, limiting us. He is uh, not a God who comes to us with our best interest at heart. And that's simply not true, right? In the gospel, we've already seen that, that Jesus did not come to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what the enemy does. Right? 
But Jesus instead says, I came to give life and to give it abundantly, to give it abundantly. When, when I think about what, what life is being extended to us by Jesus that, that makes belief in him so appealing is we are being promised a life where his favor is now upon us and we can fully trust that everything that comes our way is filtered through his love and it always turns out for our good. And you, you can't put a dollar amount on, on the value of that, right? Think about, I was thinking about the difference between what, what Jesus is offering and promising here and what we attempt to try to get with uh, like insurance policies. Think about insurance policies. What are we doing with insurance policies? We are buying, we are paying for things in hopes that when bad things happen, they don't have to be as bad as they possibly could be, right? Like we don't buy life insurance so that things turn out good for us, right? We don't buy car insurance so that things turn out good for us. We buy those things in hopes that they don't turn out as bad as they could for us, right? Like we buy car insurance so that if our car gets hit, we don't end up without a car. That in some form or fashion, we'll get some of that money back to where maybe we can turn around and put it towards a new car. Because rarely do accidents turn out to where you're like, you know, I'm so glad I got in that wreck. Like, I'm so glad I had car insurance because I'm better now than before. Sometimes that happens, but rarely does it happen, right? Rarely do you say, man, that turned out for my good. That was way better than anything I could have imagined, right? Most of the time we walk away and we say, I could have been a lot worse. Thankfully I had insurance. It didn't turn out as bad as it could have, right? This, what Jesus is offering here, it is so infinitely better than any insurance policy, right? None of your insurance agents even work for your good, right? At the end of the day, you're, you're, you're basically calling them out for what they promised to do. And then they spend a while trying to figure out how can we give you as little money as possible, right? I remember, I got in a car wreck um, before we moved over to Sonoy. I was still driving from Griffin to um, Trinity every day. And I ended up hitting a deer on the way to work one morning, right? My car wouldn't crank. I mean, it was just, it was just, my truck was just messed up, right? And so working with State Farm Insurance and they're, they're trying to get me as little money as possible, right? And so they repair some things, but my, my truck won't crank because there's an issue now with the battery and the electrical system. And State Farm tells me we're not going to replace that because it's on the other side from where the deer was hit. And I'm like, well, it's still a, it's still an issue. Like the deer still caused this. Like my truck was running, right? Obviously it cranks because I was driving down the road. You're trying to tell me that the battery and the starting aspect of my truck is not your problem because the deer ran into the other side of the truck, not the side with the battery on. They were like, yeah, that's a pre-existing condition. A pre-existing condition, like I'm driving down the road, I get cranked this morning, right? I get powered up my truck so that I could hit the deer, right? Life insurance, car insurance, house insurance, everybody that, that sells you insurance is banking on the fact that you'll never need them, right? Whereas God is saying, you are going to need me all the time, right? Like your very existence depends on me. And what I'm offering you is life with me where you're no longer my enemy, you're my friend, right? You're no longer an enemy. You're a son and a daughter. And here's what comes with that. 
my favor is on you and every circumstance that comes your way, every uh, deer accident, right? Every storm that damages your roof, every um, situation where, where you have a, a loved one who dies unexpectedly, every circumstance, you don't have to rely on, on insurance as being your savior, right? He's saying, I'm going to filter all of that through my love and I'm going to work good in every one of those situations. Now, that is in no way a commercial to not purchase insurance, right? Ben's probably sweating right now because we need those things, right? It's part of Dave Ramsey's plan is that we need to buy these things so that we are protected, right? And we absolutely do those things. But what I'm telling you is that can't be our security. That can't be our safety. That can't be our comfort, right? Because those, those people aren't working for our good, no matter what their commercials say, right? You're not in good hands with your insurance company. All they're trying to guarantee you is that it won't turn out as bad as it could have. Jesus is offering a type of life where it turns out the best that it ever could, right? That everything gets filtered through his love and his favor towards us. And you can't possibly put a price tag on that. The promised life. When I think of this, I'm thinking of a life that's free from sin and free from performance. Jesus communicates that in the gospel when he comes in contact with people, right? They can be set free from sin. He's telling individuals, go and sin no more. Be different now, right? He's telling people, you don't have to perform. You don't have to do good things to be saved. I'm here to do it for you. He sets us free from sin and performance. He sets us free from anxiety and worry, right? Man, I hope you take that theme with you as we leave the gospel of John, that that our troubled hearts can be drowned in his blood right? That he has dealt once and for all with anything that would be a source of anxiety and worry for us. He has set things right. He frees us from those things. He gives us purpose and direction, right? Man, all of us crave meaning in life, purpose in life. And what Jesus does is he lifts the blinder so that we can see what that purpose is. It's not to, to work a job solely, right? It's not a, to, to be a husband or a wife solely, right? It's not to be a... Um, a, a, a contributor to society solely, right? It's not to be the best man or woman that you can be solely. We're called to all those things, but all those things have a bigger purpose, right? We have, we have a mission, a goal, a, a um, significant meaning in life. And that's to be in relationship with him and to honor him and to glorify him and to, to make much of him. We've seen that in the gospel of John. Right? It's a life free from sin, free from performance, free from anxiety, free from worry, all these negative things. And instead, we're now commissioned with these with these right and, and positive things. That's, hey, you are now on a mission, a purpose. Like you have a reason for your existence. It's to be in fellowship with him, to make much of him, to bring glory to him, to bring others to him. This promised life, it's based on his name, right? We get life, life in his name. And it made me think of the statements that Jesus has made because the life is tied to his name. Well, who is he? What's his name? How has he revealed himself? He's revealed himself in such ways where we learn about his character, right? That he's the bread of life. He satisfies our needs. He's the light of the world. He gives us that clarity, that direction. He's the door. He's the good shepherd. He's, he's how we get to God and he's how we get to God right? He's that initial entry point, that doorway to God, that entry point 
to being in fellowship with God. And then he takes us to God, right? He's the, he's the shepherd who guides us through this life to the one that's to come. He's the resurrection and the life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the true vine. He's, he's where we, we find everything that we need. And if we're detached from him, we can't get anything that we need, right? Our, our life that's promised to us is tied to his name. And what we've seen in the Gospel of John is exactly who, he's, who he is. And he's exactly everything that we need, right? He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the Son of God. So we embrace this life. And then number two, we make plans to keep believing in him. Because once we have that initial belief, we're not done. Right? We're not done. We, we, we want to keep believing in him. We want to keep believing in him. We don't want to, we don't want to have this initial baby-like faith that just stays right there. Right? We want that faith to be deepened. We want our experience of him to deepen our understanding and knowledge and trust in him. We want to be like the disciples. We believed a long time ago, and we have been believing ever since. We've been believing ever since, right? Well, how do we make plans to believe? Because obviously faith and belief and trust, man, it's so tied to, to who God is through the Holy Spirit. But we're also told to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, right? And so two key things, two key things that we have to do to make plans to keep believing in him. Number one, we have to remain in the word or the cares of this world will capture us. If we start to retract from God's word, we, we pull out, we don't spend time in his word, we, we stop coming to, to hear sermons preached, we, we aren't ingesting and, and digesting his word, the cares of this world will deceive us and capture us. But being in the word isn't the only thing that God's called us to in order to keep believing in him. Number two, I must remain around people who remain in the word or the lies of this world will deceive me. I have to remain around people who are in the word or else I'm going to, I'm going to be deceived by this world, right? Because we need people who can help us so that hardness doesn't develop about the deceitfulness of sin. And I can't think of, of a, a more relevant time to hear this than in a time when we are cut off from people, right? I mean, I would encourage you to evaluate this, this certainly should be a time where you were being driven to the word and that you were staying in contact with people. Because if you're not careful, you're going to take 10 steps back in your faith during this time because some of these things have been cut off from your normal routine. And we have to be in contact with other believers. We have to be in contact with people who are in the word. Starts with us being in the word ourselves. But man, these are two things that are timeless things that have to be a part of our, our regular routine, that we are making plans to be in the word constantly, and that we are making plans to be around people who have been in the word constantly. Again, we try to structure that for you here with our D groups and our C groups and our Sunday gatherings. You're welcome to operate outside of that as well. But at the end of the day, you have a responsibility to say you have been in the word and you have been around people who have been in the word so that you can keep believing in Jesus. Because these are the things that God uses to keep us believing. It's still his work. He gets all the credit for our belief. It's he who is faithful. He is the one who accomplishes the work he starts in us, right? We give him all the, the, the glory for that. But he, he calls us to participate in that. And part of that participation is us going to the word, investing time in the word, being around people who have been in the word as well. 
So to kind of summarize what John has said here at the end of his gospel, in, these are in Adam's words, and I texted this to somebody who's been asking me some questions that aren't clearly answered in Scripture, right? And to help protect from a discontentment developing, I, I texted this individual this morning. I said, here's, here's what I'm preaching this morning. Here's kind of a summary of it. So I'm going to give you that summary, right? John's saying, I could have written a lot more about Jesus and still not told you everything due to time and spatial constraints. But I've told you enough to believe him. And even if you were left with a lot of questions, I've told you enough to believe him and not only believe him, but to enjoy a renewed life because of what I told you about him. So believe what you know about him now, rest in what you know about him now, and keep on believing in what you know about him now until you die or he returns. That's what John's telling us this morning, right? Believe these things. I've written enough for you. Still some unanswered questions, and we'll catch that, we'll catch that in eternity, right? He said, I, I chose the things that I chose to write because I want you to believe. Believe right now in these things. Whether you read Josh McDowell's book or Gary Habermas's book, like believe in the resurrection because John tells us that. Right? Go read those other things later to reinforce it. But believe, believe in light of the fact that John has said it. John has written it. Believe without seeing. Right? And keep believing. Do the things necessary to keep believing so that you can have life. A life that's better than any insurance policy. A life that guarantees we have favor with him and that everything is filtered through his love. It's all based on the I am statements. Right? which leads us into some application, some questions that I want you to ask yourself. During this time of quarantine, what am I allowing to shape my emotions and beliefs more, the word or the media? What are you allowing to shape your emotions and your beliefs more, the word or the media? I'm just going to tell you, it's going to become more and more confusing the deeper we get into this and as we try to come out of it, right? And, and this will be a Oh, one of the, one of the, maybe not the first, not the only, but one of the biggest tests of unity, even within our church, right? Because I guarantee you, we've got people on both sides of the spectrum about what we should or should not be doing as a state, as a nation, in response to media after media after media presentation to us, right? I'm inundated with information right now, and I've only scratched the surface of things that I've read. But I'm pretty confident I could give a presentation for both sides and convince myself of both sides, depending on which one I'm talking about at the time, right? We just had the NFL draft, and it's not uncommon for you to have people arguing about who the best quarterback is in the draft, right? And you can listen to this guy's argument, da-da-da-da-da, he fully believes that, that this is the best quarterback for the draft. And then you listen to this guy. He's like, no, 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 no. This guy's the best quarterback in this draft, and this is who this team should take, right? Depends on who you listen to more, but your, your belief and opinion is probably going to be shaped by who you're listening to more because at the end of the day, there, there's no guarantee. And at the end of the day, the more I look at this, I know that the science is involved. There's a lot of uh, projection involved too. And I don't have all the right answers, and it's why we've, we've tasked this group in our church to, to come alongside of us, right? What at the end of the day I do know is that there is truth that's available to us, and it doesn't come from the media. It comes from God's Word, right? So as these things start to play out, then we have to be coming back to God's Word 
to shape our emotions and beliefs far more than we go to read articles on Facebook about what's happening in the world, right? Now, does the Bible speak directly to what we should do in this case of opening, not opening, going back to work? No, it doesn't. But it says a whole lot to us about the the anxiety and the worry and the troubledness that we feel as these things play out, right? So let me encourage you, be guarded and careful about running to the media, trying to find an article that will make you feel better about what's happening around us. The word has to be shaping our emotions and our beliefs far more than any article could, right? Um, because there's so many opinions out there, so many opinions out there. And there, there's right opinions and wrong opinions, and we won't know until it kind of plays out. You don't know who the best quarterback is in the draft until three or four years later, maybe, right? We're not going to fully know what the right thing to do here is until we kind of see it play out. But what we can know right now is that we don't have to be troubled by it. We don't have to be fearful about it, right? That God's word can inform our emotions and our beliefs, right? Number two, during this time of quarantine, am I maintaining the needed contact with my church family to protect me? Man, don't, don't become a recluse in this, in this time period. Don't, don't use this shelter in place mandate as an excuse for not staying in contact with, with our church family. And you, you need us as much as we need you, right? So, so be faithful to find ways to stay encouraged. Be faithful to find ways to stay um, in fellowship with each other, right? Take advantage of the opportunities to be in D group. Take advantage of the opportunities to be in C group because some of the alternate opportunities aren't going to be as readily available right now, right? These things are in place. These things are there. These things are an outlet for you to connect with other people who have been in the word. And that's so crucial in a time where it could be very tempting, uh, where we are very susceptible to discouragement and to troubledness, right? Stay in the word, make plans to keep believing. Our family worship questions for this week. Uh, number one, what are the most important things we are called to believe about Jesus? What are we called to believe about Jesus? We've gone over a lot of those things today. Use it as an opportunity to recap and refresh your mind. What are we called to believe about Jesus? What did John write so that we can believe? And then number two, what is so great about the life that comes from following Jesus? You know, reflect again on the things that, that I, just, I just shared with you. Reflect on those I am statements. Reflect on this life that's being promised to us and why it's so great. All right, let me pray for us. God, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for John who wrote this account of your life so that we could believe, so that your Holy Spirit could seize that word, thrust it into our hearts, quicken us and make us alive so that we would see it and believe it. God, we thank you for our salvation. We thank you that Jesus is everything that we need him to be. We thank you that he fulfills the promises of the Old Testament. We thank you that Jesus is the, the perfect man that gives us the righteousness that we so desperately need. We thank you that he is the sacrificial lamb to pay the price for the sins that we've committed. And God, we are grateful and thankful that as we live and operate in these uncertain times right now, that we have the best policy in place that anyone could possibly have that we are in relationship with the creator of everything. 
including the coronavirus and, and the things that, that are playing out around us. And God, we are thankful that we have assurance from you that everything that comes our way is being filtered through your love, your sovereignty, and your purposes. And we are thankful that your purposes end with our good. Not they end where it's not as bad as it could have been. But it ends with direction. It ends with planning. It ends with your wisdom that you're not our insurance agent who responds to our circumstances and tries to make them better. That you are the orchestrator of our circumstances. You've designed them for our good. We can't thank you enough for that this morning. God, encourage our hearts and our souls with those truths. Protect us from being discouraged, overwhelmed, anxious, and troubled by the things that we hear and read outside your word this week. That helps to make sure that we maintain a healthy balance where your word is driving our emotions far more than social media right now. And God, help us to stay connected with people who are investing in your word so that we can receive encouragement from them too. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.